0: Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. My name is James Parton, the Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre.
1: And I'm Adelina Chalmers. I'm known as the Geek Whisperer.
0: Joining us today is uh, Bassam Karout, who's the founder of Milton Consulting.
1: BASAM connects with patients to prevent degradation in chronic illnesses using non-pharmaceutical solutions. I think this one will be super interesting to hear more about.
0: So Bassam, thanks so much for taking the time to come on uh, and talk to us today. Um, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience uh, so we can get to know you a little bit better, a little bit about your background and, and how you got to where you are
2: today. Thank you. Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, I've built my entire career on looking for scientists with breakthroughs and helped them sell it internationally, which was lovely because I've met extraordinary people, and I got to travel and see the world. And um, for the past decade or so, since 2009, I've been involved exclusively in creating non-pharmaceutical solutions for unresolved or very badly resolved chronic illnesses. Um, Our interest is only in Illnesses that are easily preventable or at least tamable. And we've worked in ophthalmology, specifically diabetic ophthalmology, um, central nervous system, so mental health. And for the last four years or so, it's been in chronic digestive health. With a, always with a focus on um, neurodegeneration or loss of neurons as it's involved in. Most health deterior most health deterioration. So in general, before any irreversible damage, usually it starts with some form of neurodegeneration. This is what I've been doing for a while.
0: So you were doing this in Barcelona before you came to Cambridge. The same kind of okay. Yes. How how did you find the the opportunities? How did you find the breakthroughs? You know, were you networking in the in the medical field to find the kind of uh, the research and the, the breakthroughs? How, how did you kind of match make with the opportunities for you to then take them
2: to market? In the medical field, um, I was already partnered with a couple of business people that were buying some products from me on another project. Okay. And um, I liked what they were doing. Product solving comes as naturally for me. So being from outside the industry and not from the medical field, it was relatively easy for me to help with them guide, move in in such a direction. Okay. So it was uh, networking from a trading company I have still in Barcelona, a pharmaceutical trading company, and that was the opportunity creator.
1: So what sort of problem does your current company solve exactly? And why are you excited about it?
2: Right. Our our main concern was always if the product solves the problem for the patient, plain and simple. So our lack of interest in the technology being patentable or scalable or approved by the mainstream industry ended up working to our advantage because we could innovate without any preconceptions or boundaries. The only thing we cared about was, with a sharp focus, is the only thing that matters is, are we reducing the pain or are we slowing down deterioration? And we're doing it in record time. So what we're more excited about now is We've been forced to move everything digitally because of COVID, obviously. And um, suddenly our reach went from the markets that we were present in to international. So we have no geographical boundaries. We're moving all our research to digital. And our access to researchers isn't limited to where we are residing anymore.
1: You said that you were worried about is the product solving the problem for the patient? What, what problem does the patient actually have? You mentioned the generation is slowing the pain. Can you, can you explain what, what sort of condition or disease do they have
2: then? We mainly work with chronic conditions, which means diabetes, arthritis, cystic fibrosis. Their solutions to such, pro- to such conditions are only if the problem arises. I'll give an example of diabetic retinopathy. So if you have diabetes, And um, the way to detect diabetic retinopathy is through checking for vascular changes in the retina. And that means we're only able to detect it once irreversible damage has started. And it's the only type of blindness that's increasing in prevalence globally. So what we do is we're able to detect it 10 years earlier, allowing the treatments to be much more open. There's much more alternatives if you're dealing with an illness 10 years before. And it also means it's less invasive. So we're switching from ocular injections and surgery to simple supplementation of alpha-lipoic acid or any simplistic neuroprotector. In digestion, for example, um, the technology used today is based on pancreatine, which are extractions from pork pancreas, There are digestive enzymes that operate in the intestine, which is the end of the digestive process. And we simply thought that, why not move the digestive aid to the stomach? So we built a capsule inside the capsule, the outside capsule is dissolved in the stomach and works, is active in the acidic medium, which hasn't been done before in in the medical field. It was in the wellness field, but not in the medical field.
0: So, are you active through the whole product life cycle, from research, development, manufacturing, clinical trials, you're doing the whole end-to-end process?
2: Correct. Okay. But non-pharmaceutical. Okay. So, I do have a pharmaceutical trading company, and I do promote the use of pharmaceuticals, but I'm anti-misuse of pharmaceuticals. So, we developed an antidepressant, for example, for... Um, replacing misuse of synthetic antidepressants. Um, We conducted our clinical studies in Australia, Japan, and Spain. Seven double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled, but it's a food supplement. So the idea is, if you believe you can fly, please take your happy pills. But if you're only anxious, don't take a synthetic antidepressant. So we are involved from creation all the way to promotion Uh and so far we've gone through the traditional medical channel so we go to doctors doctors prescribe our products which means our reach is very minimal and we spend 10% of our time inventing and 90% in bureaucracies which is what gave birth to Milton and what brought me here
0: okay to tackle specifically that 90%.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so the, I guess the follow-on question is, look, what are you doing differently now than, than you were before to, to kind of break down that, that remaining 90%? And, well, I'll, I'll stop there. Otherwise, I'll ask you three questions simultaneously. <laughs> so what are you doing differently now with the new company mm-hmm. to, uh, to address that 90% that was taking so much of your bandwidth? Mm-hmm.
2: We had an eye-opening incident, in end of 2018, which made us realize how little say, if any at all, do chronic patients have in what solutions are being developed for their conditions. The person that makes a decision of what product sees the light and what doesn't, usually doesn't have that condition. It's baffling. And uh, we had enough. And we decided we would like to do what we're doing at a large scale and opened Milton. Originally, we opened this company as a side project for our group of companies. It wasn't a primary pillar of our work. COVID changed that. But what we're doing differently now is we're putting researchers and patients at a large scale together for them to jointly create new therapeutic approaches. In 2013, Dana Lewis, a person with uh, diabetes, got so fed up with no one solving her problem that she created an online open source, through an online open source manner, the first DIY artificial pancreas online. And obviously this forced the FDA and other R&D companies to roll out their versions as fast as possible. Um, So we came here to bridge that gap and go directly to the patient, which is what we've done every single time, but at a scale. So we're trying to do it digitally and create a large international community of chronic patients and give them a say in what they need researched. COVID, general state of mind, caused a sustained increase in anxiety in all populations. This, in turn, causes um, sustained inflammation. And if the inflammation is sustained, this causes um, health deterioration. So it's simple. Anxiety causes inflammation. Inflammation causes uh, neurodegeneration. Usually you're anxious, you go for a walk, and you're fine. What COVID changed is the consistency of it. This accelerated the degenerative process for all chronic patients irrelevant. When everyone is, where most people are focusing on vaccines and more immediate impact of COVID, we believe that um, the degenerative process has been accelerated drastically, irrelevant of what chronic illness you have, whether you It's asthma, diabetes, cancer, irrelevant. It's going to get much worse, much faster, because of the sustained anxiety. So we created a a charitable platform to measure and mitigate the impact of this increased anxiety on health deterioration in chronic patients. And this is where we are today.
0: Just to pause the conversation a second and tell you a little bit more about the changes we're making at the Bradfield Centre, we now offer a whole range of new flexible membership packages which support home workers, hybrid home working blended with access to high quality office space and meeting room hire by the hour. Starting from as little as £45 per month, visit bradfieldcentre.com for more information or call 0123 919 600.
1: What brought you to Cambridge then? Because you came to Cambridge um, in September and uh, you've lived here most of your time in Cambridge. Sounds like it's been through lockdown. So uh, what what brought you to Cambridge?
2: Um, Children and researchers. So my kids are about to start going to school and I think Cambridge is a good place to raise children. And um, you can feel the impact of higher education in every aspect of life in Cambridge, I have to say. I think you guys will take it for granted if you're living here. But from um, for newcomer, this is very impressive. And research as well, it's, it's the place to be. Every neighbour that I have on my street is a scientist.
0: <laughs> yeah. Kind of unusual, isn't it? That's... Uh,
2: so... That's what, what brought me here, mix of children and uh, wanting to be with more researchers.
1: Can I follow up on that, actually? What is it about children? Do you think the school system is better, or what is it about raising children in Cambridge that made you think Cambridge is the right choice? I'm just intrigued.
2: Well, Barcelona is um, a very touristic city, and the type of tourism that it attracts is very different than the tourism that it attracts to Cambridge. My wife is British, so it was an easier decision than moving to a completely new place. And um, I had presented some of my work here a couple of years ago and was completely taken. I'm still completely taken. I think I'm uh, very taken, Cambridge. I was passing through one of the universities and they were having a Shakespearean play that I could pay 12 euros to attend versus what I would see in Barcelona, which is lovely, but very different.
0: How how quickly have you been able to kind of establish yourself in Cambridge and have you started to get interactions with the university to get access to those kind of researches you're looking for?
2: Um, our process was uh, very slow because, as I mentioned before, this project was a side project. I was barely here since we moved here until the lockdown. Yeah. So we've just started now contacting uh, researchers and because what we're doing is... Very unorthodox and very maverick it's it's taking time before we can enlist creative enough researchers that are willing to look at things that differently. Keep in mind globally diabetic retinopathy is detected according to us ten years late so it's a back and forth um, of finding the right researcher that's willing to do things very differently
0: mm. and i guess it's a similar kind of question but just going back to something you said earlier which was interesting was covid forcing you to go digital and online has now massively increased your addressable market of researchers to mm-hmm. global right rather mm-hmm. than just the cities you were based in i think i think is what you said how how then have you grown awareness of what you're doing and how have you attracted researchers globally to what you what you do has it needed a marketing budget or has it just been organic you know how how have you grown that kind of perception
2: organic we started building our platform to be a mix between digital and physical Mm. so we do some of the studies digitally and the idea is very simple if the product or the solution works then it's successful before we even have a brand name because the research is at such a scale that the people involved in research are already sufficient to be our market. By going digital in our research, we're no, we no—we don't have any bottleneck on computing results or on enrollment. So we decided to go organic, and we're trying to turn our Image into a Cambridge-based company that has contacts outside rather than the other way around. So we're in the middle of reframing our work as an English company that has contacts in Japan, in Australia, in Poland, so on, rather than um, the other way around. So so far, it's been organic, and this is all very recent.
0: Mm, okay. And I mean, I appreciate it's still early days for you in the UK, but have you have you kind of compared and contrasted the differences in the kind of startup ecosystems of like Spain versus the UK? Is there any obvious differences or you know, any impressions of what it might be like? Or is it too early for that?
2: Way too early. Okay. So we haven't made use of your incredible ecosystem, which I'm fully aware of what you have available. Um, we've done everything ourselves. So we've never went through incubators, we've never went through fundings, and this is different. So since when I arrived here, I was offered, would you like to be part of this? Would you like to be part of that? Sure. And uh, we have not made use of it so far. And I think the main difference I could see between Spain and Cambridge so far, because in Spain we're also based in the science park, and in Warsaw, we're based in the Science Park, okay. pertained to each university. Um, much more pragmatism in Cambridge. I think there's a good grasp of research. doesn't have to be academic only, uh-huh. while in Spain it is, and in Poland the same. So anxiety causes inflammation is a known fact in the entire industry. Um, Inflammation causes neurodegeneration is also a known fact but there's no link between anxiety or mental health if you want and health deterioration which seems to me in Cambridge this is much easier to explain people grasp it easier than in Spain and Poland so far. So I guess one final question about
0: establishing the business as a UK company. Uh, Do you perceive that it's going to slow you down with the regulation in the UK of bringing these kinds of services to market? Or are you kind of operating in parallel to that?
2: Not at all. I think this um, going digital doesn't, It, it makes us more product neutral. So I'm not in a rush of launching my own products. I happily divested from my ophthalmology project when we started building this at scale. And we are building, hopefully, the largest community of chronic patients and researchers internationally. So, f- so that they can collaborate to bring new solutions. Now, if a researcher decides to impact his patient at anxiety levels at the beginning, or at inflammation halfway through, or towards the end, we might find out that it's much easier f- to just go for a walk then take one of my products. Uh-huh. Then that becomes the solution. So I think we're gonna become completely product neutral and we're working on building community first, solution second, and then get R&D companies involved. Right, okay. So regulation or Brexit has zero value in the product. It's all digital. So a a researcher or a patient in South Africa or in Dubai is as relevant as someone here or in Poland. The idea was if with so few patients we were able to create our breakthroughs, I can't imagine what other much smarter researchers are able to do with all the data that we will provide them. Keep in mind, neurodegeneration is a very slow process. It's measured in decades. It's not measured in years suddenly researchers are going to have access to data that is people who had diabetes for two years, someone that has diabetes for eight years, someone that had arthritis for seven years, and what they will be able to cross-check is data that wasn't available previously. I expect the solutions that should come up with from this are not... They, sh- they shouldn't be products anymore. The project is made available to NHS, other researchers and patients freely it's a charitable project so i don't think we'll be affected by regulation as i don't see us getting involved in product anytime soon the idea is to get patients louder towards what they want from um their products makes sense
1: So, coming from abroad, how did you find the Brad? How did you hear about the Bradfield Centre? Was it through a Google search? Was it through word of mouth? What um, What brought you to the Bradfield?
2: It was uh, through research. Um, I had come here to present um, some of our work previously, and was completely taken with um, your city. We found a couple of options of co-working, and. um, The Bradfield was by far my favorite and very hospitable. So since we got here, we have been taken care of constantly. And um, it was an easy, no regrets choice. So we had heard of it through research. We actually looked at all the different options we can be in uh, Cambridge.
0: So, I mean, in terms of people listening to this episode, I mean, are you... Are you looking for researchers to collaborate with? You know, what what kind of uh, what kind of calls would you like to put out there for people to get
2: involved? Well, we're building our um, nonprofit board of directors because there's all, a lot of this is very new to us. So we're very good at creating solutions for unresolved illnesses, but we're not very good at scaling it. Right. We're very successful in every market we've been, but we haven't been able to take it. So, we're looking for a nonprofit board of directors in digital health, mental health, diabetes, and ophthalmology. I think that's our focus till the end of the year. Okay. Is to get the base up and running to make sure it works locally before we're going internationally. And that's what we, you had asked me before about the, org- the growth. Mm-hmm. We were trying to do it all at once, and that was just a disaster. And we decided, "Mm, let's first get it local and then we scale it internationally. Because then we can scale it our way under our non-restrained creativity.
1: Uh So how can researchers working in this space get in touch with you and what what do you need them to do?
2: Um, Miltons.com, double L, so we could get the dot com. And um, the project is built in a modular way. So it works on scale. Each researcher would be responsible for their own research that becomes part of the full big picture. So a researcher can be measuring loss of retinal neurons and decide to intervene at anxiety level or at inflammation level and see how that impacts loss of neurons but they can also use their new thesis to collaborate with other researchers on the platform globally. We have no say at this point in how it goes. The researcher has the final say, and we eliminate all of their paperwork. So a researcher's role was similar to ours, of 10% thinking and 90% paperwork. This is all taken away. So we do the scoring digitally, he tells us or she tells us we want this test. They give us the test, we upload it on our platform, we put the computation of it, and they receive a very simple report in whatever format they see fit. So you
1: built all of that platform yourselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, Basant, thank you so much. It was really um, lovely meeting you. And I'm glad that you're enjoying Cambridge because a lot of people said that they didn't find Cambridge as friendly as you found it. So oh, it's amazing. It's probably um, mainly because of the Bradfield Centre, isn't it? That's why Cambridge is awesome.
2: <laughs> uh, it's a lovely place.
1: Fascinating conversation. It was really interesting to hear how he was able to um, help um, diagnose diabetic retinopathy 10 years earlier um, because in reg- in traditional methods the way they identify it is by checking vascular changes in the retina which is too late and he was and there's already damage and he's actually doing it in, co- in a completely different way really interesting stuff.
0: Yeah it just sounded like a really fresh approach I mean the fact that uh, they're going direct to patients and understanding their needs which you kind of think would be Best practice, but obviously doesn't seem to be happening, um, which is interesting in itself. Um, And the fact, obviously, by going down a non pharmaceutical route means that they can develop products and iterate products much faster. Um, And just interesting to get the perspective of someone that's new to Cambridge in terms of the city, the quality of life, but you know, from a business perspective, just in the comments about how pragmatic the city is, and the fact that already just in three months he's having conversations here that he hasn't previously had in places like Barcelona or Warsaw.
1: Thank you very much to Bassam for joining us today. It was really, really interesting. We'd also like to say thank you for producing this show to Carl Homer from Cambridge TV.
0: You can listen to previous episodes by searching for Inside the Brafield Centre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Amazon Music or by visiting brafieldcenter.com.